So uh, the first week of Lent, we talked about our first enemy, the devil. And the whole homily was kind of simple. Yeah, don't. Yeah, he's bad, stay away. Uh, the second one, we looked at the world. And again, the world not as the globe or the planet, but this invisible reality that we're all immersed in that tells us what our priorities are, and they usually have nothing to do with God. Yeah? That's the, uh, now we're going to look at the third enemy. We skipped our enemies last week, uh, but we're right back. We're now on the last enemy. And it is, I think, the one we like the most. I think this is the enemy that we wish was our ally. And that's called, in the Bible, the flesh. And by the flesh, they don't mean our skin, right? Our bodies are sacred, especially mine with the chiseled abs and, uh, you know, I don't want to brag. But uh, no, by the flesh, they're using a Greek philosophical term again. Okay? Paul loved Greek philosophy. And what the flesh refers to is that spoiled little snot that lives inside of each of us. It just wants what it wants. We're not happy unless we're in charge. We're, the flesh is that thing in us that makes us all about us. And on one level, we love it. Because, oh, it's nice when everything's about us. But on another level, what we need to recognize is you weren't made for you. You weren't made for God. You were made for others. But to me, this is the nastiest one, right? You can kind of learn to see the devil coming. He's about as subtle as a two-by-four. And in terms of the world, once God pulls you out of the water, you can see the water. Yeah, that's messed up. But the flesh, again, it makes things easier for us. So what I would love for us to do is, this week in particular, take some time and think about it. Where do I make it all about me? Where do I make it all about what I want? And then let's go to war. Now, a good priest would end the homily there, but uh, you got average up here, so here we go. Right. We're going to take a look at a few appearances of the flesh in the gospel to see how does that apply to my life. Like, for example, uh, one of the first things we learn about is that there are two groups of people in, in the minds of that day. There are sinners and tax collectors, yeah, and there are the righteous. Okay. Who's Jesus hanging out with? The sinners, yeah. You should write that down. That's good news, <laughs> right? Because oh, you and I, uh, that's us. We're the train wrecks here. And that's what draws Jesus to us. For you and me, it's a change of focus. And, I, I, and we can ask Jesus to heal us in us, and he will. This idea that I've got to get it right. No, he got it right. Our goal is to be like him. That's our goal. Because when I make it all about me doing it right, the first word in there is... Me, doing it right. And that breeds arrogance. That breeds judgmentalism. For us, what we want to understand and always keep in mind is that the reason you and I are here today 
is not because we've got it all together, but it's the opposite. More than our friends who don't go to church, we recognize we need something. I've made a mess of things. This is the place where we come because we recognize we're spiritually sick. I know I've used this image before, but no one makes a doctor's appointment because they're feeling great. Well, hypochondriacs, but I mean, most people won't call and say, I need an appointment, I feel great, and I need a doctor to say, you got this. We call the doctor because we recognize something's wrong, and this is our place. This is our spiritual doctor. And it is the flesh that will always take our eyes off of that reality. Always. It will always take our eyes off this reality where we'll start to look at people who don't go to church and think, you know, I'm a little better from them. I suggest we might be a little worse. And we get that. So we come for help. There's a bishop in the Philippines who gave a beautiful homily four years ago, and it, it just blew me away. A buddy of mine sent it to me, and he's talking to his newly ordained priest, and he told him, please don't labor under the illusion that God called you to be a priest because you're better. He called you because you're worse, and it makes you pray, and it makes you humble. There it is, huh? So let's hear it for us sinners and tax collectors, huh? who just run to Jesus because no one else wants us. We run to the spiritual doctor because we know we made a mess of things. Jesus tells a story about a son then who breaks relationship with his father in pursuit of cash. Yeah? Basically, Dad, I can't wait till you're dead to get the inheritance. Give it to me now. Do not try this at home. Uh, this man is a trained idiot. Yes? What would compel someone to say something so awful? The flesh. And he didn't get there in a day. It wasn't like he was a great kid. And then one day woke up and thought, I'm going to tell dad I'd rather he was dead and I have his money. He worked to get there. He practiced being all about himself until it was just second nature. And as a priest, I can tell you, I see this a lot today. That sitting down and working with families afterward, not just dealing with the grief of losing mom and dad, but the horror of siblings tearing each other apart for stuff. There is something so broken in us that has to pursue a temporary transitory thing like stuff over a permanent, beautiful thing like love. This is the flesh at work. And you don't just get there overnight. It's a lifetime of practice. The son goes off, and it says he found, he spent everything freely. I'm good at that. Yeah. And it said he spent it on a life of dissipation. I had to look up this word. This word, and in the words of my people in Montrose, right, he tied one on. Yeah. Uh, he got drunk and he stayed that way. We know his poison. It's alcohol. And he couldn't stop. And that is the price of the flesh. Whatever our favorite sin might be, make no mistake, it doesn't stop when you're done. It stops when the sin's done. And the sin's done when you're dead. That's the trouble with giving in to the flesh. 
The flesh doesn't stop. Uh, Dr. Peter Crave put it this way, it's the camel's nose under the tent. The whole camel's coming. It's like when I was a kid, and I know I shared this image with you a couple years ago, but I hope you forgot. You know, uh, growing up where we did, we were out in the sticks. We had a, a hobby farm, and people would drop their pets off. Do they do this in Grand Blank anymore? I don't know. In Montrose, this was like a full-time. There were people, I swear this was their full-time job. Uh, their dog or cat would have a million of whatever they have, and they would just drive around and look for big property and drop them off. And so we would wake up in the morning and, huh, we have 10 cats. Uh, we also had ketchup, and um, that's a joke, and I'm going to stop. But I was that kid, right? We'd be sitting there at the dinner table, and right off of our dinner table was a big glass door, and the cats would just hang out there because they could see food, yeah? And I would, I'm that kid, right, try to sneak the food out. And what would my dad say? If you feed it, they'll never go away. And that's how sin works. If we feed it, it gets bigger. That cute, cuddly little sin that we like, it turns into a feral barn cat. <laughs> and if you've had one, sweet, fancy Moses, yeah? That's how sin works. We want to remember this kid did not set out to spend all his money on booze. He just couldn't not do it at some point. The flesh wants you captive. We think, well, freedom means I get to do whatever I want. No way. <laughs> because if I do whatever I want, it will become what I need, and then it will become what I must have. We forge the chains of our slavery one link at a time by giving in to the flesh, by following our desires. So now he's a train wreck and he decides to go home. And then the next incidence of the flesh that we encounter is the older son, the one who did everything right, theoretically. And what is his response to seeing his brother, his flesh, his blood, repent and come home? Well, it appears as if he's mad that he didn't get to sin. Isn't that something? I see that a lot, especially when I taught high school and somewhat college. The kids who consistently make good choices, right? A little bit jealous of the kids who are vaguely familiar with the idea of a good choice. There's always going to be this part of us that thinks sin is better because it's so much easier, right? A dead fish goes with the current. But there's always going to be this part of us that we call the flesh that looks at the easiness of a life of sin and thinks, well, I wish I could do that. Sometimes we choose virtue just because we're not very brave or imaginative. And that's the older son's problem. He did what was right because he didn't really have any other sense of things. And because of that, he's cruel. And did you catch how wrong he was, by the way? Where did it go? When this son of yours returns who swallowed up your property with prostitutes. No, he didn't. And how would he even know? Right? You with me? So we just learned what the older son's sin is, huh? That's what you and I learn when we start accusing other people. We learn what we want to do. 
Our accusations and the judgments in our hearts are rarely revelatory of the people we're attacking, but they're always perfectly revelatory of what's going on in here. Whatever motives you put on someone else, that's your motives. And in that way, God's victory over the flesh is so complete that we can then surrender that to the Lord. We can look at our harsh judgments and say, oh no, <laughs> Lord, forgive me. This is clearly what I would do. Flesh is a funny thing. It infuses itself into every part of us. It is a self-obsession. And it plays out in these harsh judgments sometimes. I hope this isn't too much to say, but I can't tell you how many people who are straight have come to me and asked why I don't preach against homosexuality. They never asked me to preach against adultery. Yeah? I can't tell you how many people who've never had an abortion come up and tell me, you need to preach against abortion. What is that in us? that needs other people to get fixed. Well, that's the flesh. That's all it is. And we can call it what it is and say, that's something broken in me because my sin, I'm talking about Joe here, is enough for me. I don't need yours. Yeah? Do you need mine? Well, you get it. I'm your priest. I'm sorry about that now that I think about it. But do, do you get me? The fight against the flesh it's such a big fight. Why would we waste our energy on other people's fight? In a weird way, you need to be selfish here. Selfish in the sense of, I'm going to obsess over my sins. If you ask my opinion, oh, you'll get it. I'm good at that. But otherwise, that's not my business. My business is to be holy. And it takes everything I got because the flesh is a tenacious foe. And I'll never be done fighting it till I'm dead. So today, I want us, I think the Lord wants us, and I know he wants me all this week. I was aware of little ways I bend things for me. That's the flesh. I need to be about God. I need to be about you. Let's pray that God open our eyes to the innumerable ways we give in to the flesh. And let's take that reality and, and recognize this. The Lord loves you. He doesn't look at this struggle and think, get it together. No, he took on flesh and nailed it to the cross so that you could be free. And when you and I see this pattern of sin and repent, yay, that's what he wants. He doesn't want us to recognize this sin so that we can get low, but so he can lift us up. Let's go to war with the flesh. Let's refuse to give in to our self-obsession. And instead... Decide, I'm going to act like God. And to do so, I'm going to have to reject those impulses in me that make it all about me. Because it's all about him. And when I live that well, that will draw me closer to Christ and everybody else who I worry about. Amen? Amen. Okay.